Before we get to the episode, I just want to remind you about CrimeCon and make a special announcement. CrimeCon is just two weeks away. Ah! CrimeCon is the world's only major true crime convention with three days of immersive experiences into all things true crime. If you follow true crime, this is the place to be. It's being held at the New Orleans Riverside Hilton on June 7th through 9th. Some of the special guests include world-renowned criminalist Dr. Henry Lee, Jan Broberg, whose case was the main subject of the most talked-about documentary of this year, Abducted in Plain Sight, lead detectives Tom Lang and prosecutor Christopher Darden from the O.J. Simpson trial, and so many more. And for true crime podcast fans, the highlight of the weekend is always Podcast Row. There you will have the chance to get up close and personal with some of your favorite true crime podcasters, including Justin and Aaron from Generation Y, Nick and the Captain from True Crime Garage, Robbie and Susan from Undisclosed, and me. I'll be on Podcast Row, and I have a ton of OUAC and Talk About Crime swag to give away. So come up and say hi. And I have a special announcement. On Friday night at CrimeCon, I'll be recording an episode of Once Upon a Crime live. My very special guests will be none other than Tara and Deborah Newell from Dirty John, the case that inspired the number one podcast and the Golden Globe-nominated television series of the same name. I am so honored to be able to hear their story of courage and survival, and I'm sure we'll talk some true crime too. So if you'll be attending CrimeCon, make sure to mark down on your program to attend the Once Upon a Crime live recording on Friday night at 6.45 p.m. You can still get CrimeCon tickets at a discount by using my offer code ONCE19, and I'll see you in New Orleans. If you're not attending CrimeCon, you'll still be able to hear the interview, as I'll be releasing my live from CrimeCon recordings right after the convention wraps up. You'll get that episode on the regular feed of Once Upon a Crime. I'm still working on details for my New York and Toronto events, and I'll be posting those announcements on the podcast very soon. So far, it looks like there may be two meetups in New York and one in Toronto. And don't forget, you can also still get tickets to the Toronto True Crime Film Festival being held at the Review Cinema on June 14th and 15th. I'll be there, and I'd love to meet you. Go to torontotruecrimefilmfestival.com for details. Now, let's start the show. When Once Upon a Crime launched three years ago, on June 9, 2016, the very first series was Lost and Found. In that series, I detailed cases of kidnapping victims who were rescued months or years after being abducted. One of the cases I covered in that series was the story of three young women who were kidnapped by one predator and held captive for over a decade. This episode, called The Cleveland Kidnappings, is still one of the most downloaded episodes of Once Upon a Crime. In it, you'll learn the stories of three incredibly strong and brave women who survived their horrific ordeal. Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Gina De Jesus were individually kidnapped by Ariel Castro and held for years, hidden away, raped, and tortured in his Cleveland home, before Amanda was able to find a way to escape on May 6, 2013, thus ending their years of hell. In this bonus episode, I bring you an update on these three incredible women and let you know how they're doing today, six years after their release. On May 6, 2013, 
Amanda Berry, one of the three women who was held captive for over a decade, escaped from what some would later describe as a hell house. Amanda Berry, Gina de Jesus, and Michelle Knight had endured a life of starvation, rape, abuse, and even miscarriages. You can hear all the details of their lives before and during their time in captivity on one of the very first Once Upon a Crime episodes, Episode 3, Lost and Found, Chapter 3, The Cleveland Kidnappings. It has now been over six years since the three women were freed. They have endured and each have gone their separate ways. All have faced their own challenges throughout the years. Michelle Knight, the first woman kidnapped by Ariel Castro, who now goes by the name Lily Rose Lee, is today 38 years old. Kidnapped at age 21, she was never reported missing by her family because she was an adult. After being freed 11 years later, she was in and out of the hospital for weeks because of her injuries. Michelle had suffered several miscarriages while held captive. After finding out she had become pregnant, Castro would beat and starve her until she miscarried. Michelle had no home to go to after escaping. Her family, who she'd not been very close to, had moved away, and her son, who was only two years old at the time of her kidnapping, had been put up for adoption. It took some time of searching before she found her son Joey, and when she finally did, she made the ultimate sacrifice not to disrupt the stable life he was now living with his adoptive family. Michelle is estranged from her family and turned her mother away when she came to visit her in the hospital after her rescue. Michelle spoke out immediately against her abductor, working with police and the FBI to give them enough details to charge Castro with multiple counts of kidnapping, rape, and assault. She was the only one of the three women to confront Ariel Castro in court, making a statement about the terror and abuse he'd subjected her to for over a decade. Gina de Jesus and Amanda Berry wrote statements that were then read by a family member who went to court in their place. Michelle underwent facial reconstruction surgery because of how badly her captor had beaten her. She had surgery to partially repair hearing loss she suffered as a result of the beatings. Now a best-selling author and happily married, Michelle has written two books about her life and her survival story. In 2014, her first book, Finding Me, A Decade of Darkness, A Life Reclaimed, a memoir of the Cleveland kidnappings, was published. She followed that bestseller up with her second book, Life After Darkness, Finding Healing and Happiness After the Cleveland Kidnappings, which tells the continued story of her life and is a love story about meeting her husband, Miguel Rodriguez. They were married on May 6, 2016, the third year anniversary of her freedom from captivity. Michelle calls her husband her soulmate and credits him with helping her heal from the years of pain, abuse, and loneliness she has suffered. Michelle now heads a nonprofit organization called Lily's Ray of Hope to help support women who have been victims of domestic violence, human trafficking, and child abuse. She is no longer in contact with Amanda and Gina, although she believed they were once as close as sisters. They have not spoken to each other in over a year. Gina de Jesus, now 29, was only 14 when she was kidnapped. Gina says that for her, moving on means helping others. She is also an author. Together, she and Amanda Berry co-wrote Hope, a memoir of survival in Cleveland. Gina has also dedicated her life to helping others. She created a nonprofit organization called the Cleveland Center for Missing, Abducted, Exploited Children and Adults. Co-founded with her cousin, Sylvia Colon, it is located in the same neighborhood 
and not far from the hell house where she was held captive for nine years. I wanted to come back here and bring something good to this area, Gina explains. Through her organization, she works alongside law enforcement and canine officers, the trained dogs who help find missing people. Her mission is to help families searching for their missing loved ones, the way others supported her parents during their nine-year nightmare. Gina still experiences terrible nightmares as a result of her time held captive by Ariel Castro. She admits that she no longer speaks to either of the two ladies she was held captive with for almost a decade. She wants to put that terrible time of her life behind her, but says she wishes them both the best. She has recently teamed up with six other survivors to help Jamie Kloss, the 13-year-old girl whose parents were murdered before she was kidnapped in 2018. Jamie was held captive for 88 days before she escaped. Jesus says, I had a lot of days while I was held captive that were sad, depressed. But sometimes when I would watch my parents on TV, it would remind me how much I just had to keep fighting to get back to them. Castro once brought home a missing persons flyer with her picture on it that had been posted in the neighborhood after her disappearance. Gina said that she was really happy to see it, knowing that she hadn't been forgotten and that people were still trying to find her. She said it lifted her spirit so much that she even wanted to decorate it. In October 2018, Gina participated in a walk to end human trafficking. Amanda Berry is now 33 years old. She was kidnapped just one day short of her 17th birthday. She says that during her first year of freedom, she was constantly scared of all the possibilities and everything that could go wrong. For 10 years, her every movement and action was controlled by her kidnapper, Ariel Castro. Because of this, making her own decisions has been very hard for her. While in captivity, Amanda says the more she cried, the more Castro seemed to feed off of her pain and sorrow. He would then torture her even more. She eventually learned how to play his game to survive, she explains. During her kidnapping ordeal, Amanda became pregnant with Castro's child. She delivered a baby girl on Christmas Day, 2006, when she was 20 years old. Michelle Knight helped her deliver the baby she named Jocelyn. Her daughter was six years old when they escaped. Amanda set up a makeshift classroom for Jocelyn in the room where she was confined. There, she posted the alphabet, shapes, and colors on the walls to help her daughter learn. After her escape, Jocelyn started first grade, testing in at a higher reading level than her classmates. Amanda became an on-air reporter for WJW Fox 8 News team in Cleveland. She hosts a recurring news segment reporting on missing persons cases. She was recently reunited with Charles Ramsey, the man who helped aid in her escape. In their videotape meeting, they see each other for the first time after six years. It is apparent how much Amanda loves and appreciates Ramsey, who she considers her personal hero. Although Charles's actions aided in freeing the girls from their kidnapper, he says he doesn't consider himself a hero. Amanda, who survived her ordeal and found a way to break herself and her daughter free from her captor, is the real hero, he insists. While she was in captivity, Amanda's mother, Luanda Miller, desperately sought answers in the case. The disappearance of Amanda took a serious toll on her health. She was hospitalized in March 2006 with pancreatitis and other ailments. A Cleveland councilwoman, Donna Brady, spent many hours with Luanda, who said she never gave up hope that her daughter was alive. After three years of relentlessly searching for her daughter, Luanda Miller died on March 2, 2006. She was just 43 years old. 
She literally died of a broken heart, Brady told the Associated Press. On May 6th, shortly after the women were freed from Ariel Castro's home, police arrested him. He first appeared in court on May 9th, and his bail was set at $8 million. On June 12th, he entered a plea of not guilty. One of his attorneys, Craig Weintraub, said that although some of the charges against Castro were indisputable, quote, it is our hope that we can continue to work towards a resolution to avoid having an unnecessary trial about aggravated murder and the death penalty, unquote. He also noted, we are very sensitive to the emotional strain and impact that a trial would have on the women, their families, and this community. Castro was found competent to stand trial on July 3rd. On July 26th, Castro pleaded guilty to 937 of the 977 charges against him. The charges included rape, kidnapping, and aggravated murder for his responsibility in the deaths of Michelle Knight's unborn babies. Before being sentenced on August 1st, Castro addressed the court, stating, quote, I'm not a monster, I'm sick, unquote. He said his actions were as a result of being addicted to sex and pornography. He claimed that he had never tortured or beat the women and insisted that most of the sex he had with his victims was consensual. He also tried to blame the women for getting in the car with him initially, and even tried to blame the FBI for failing to catch him. He ended with, quote, I hope they can find it in their hearts to forgive me, because we had a lot of harmony going on in that home, unquote. The judge also heard from family members of both Barry and de Jesus, as well as Knight herself. Michelle Knight told Castro, You took 11 years of my life away. I spent 11 years in hell. Now your hell is just beginning. I will overcome all that has happened, but you will face hell for eternity. I will live on. You will die a little every day as you think of the 11 years of atrocities that you inflicted on us. I can forgive you, but I will never forget. Ariel Castro was sentenced to consecutive sentences of life in prison plus 1,000 years, all without a possibility of parole. On September 3rd, only one month into his sentence, Castro was found hanging from a bedsheet in his detention cell at the Correctional Reception Center in Orient, Ohio. Prison staff performed CPR on him before transporting him to the hospital, where he was pronounced dead. A preliminary autopsy found the cause of his death to be suicide by hanging. However, on October 10th, the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections released a report suggesting that Castro may have died by accident from autoerotic asphyxiation. But on December 3rd, a report was released concluding that all evidence pointed to suicide, including a shrine-like arrangement of family pictures and a Bible in his cell, as well as a journal where Castro seemed to despair about the reality of spending the rest of his life in prison and all the harassment he'd been receiving in jail. An empty lot sits at the location where the House of Horrors once stood on Seymour Avenue. Castro's home was demolished on August 7, 2013. Michelle Knight was the only victim present and handed out yellow balloons to spectators. The balloons represented missing children. Gina de Jesus' aunt, Petty Arita, was inside the excavator and delivered the first blow to take Castro's house down. Castro left over $22,000 in cash stashed away in his home, and this money was seized. It went towards the demolition of the home, as well as to make neighborhood improvements. Thank you for listening to this special update episode. I want to thank Lorena Garcia for helping with the research and writing of this episode. 
When I launched Once Upon a Crime three years ago, I did it because I was fascinated by true crime stories my whole life. I wanted to share these stories with others, who I hoped would also find them interesting. I didn't know then how many people would listen. It's been wonderful finding a community of people who, like me, are interested in this subject and want to go behind the crimes with me to not only discover what happened, but perhaps to try and figure out why. To date, Once Upon a Crime has been downloaded over 12 million times. That is truly amazing. As always, I thank you, my listening audience, for coming back each week to hear these stories and for rating, reviewing, and telling a friend about the podcast. And also by supporting the show through Patreon, purchasing merchandise, or by supporting our sponsors. Thank you so very much. And also, as always, be good to one another. Thank you.